Good morning. I want to attempt this morning to address the question, why does God need us? Or to put it another way, why does God choose to make himself vulnerable, dependent upon my obedience, vulnerable to my failings? When people are asked, why have you rejected God or turned away from Christianity? They often respond by pointing to what they see in the behaviour of Christians. Rather than responding to the love of God, they see Christians as being intolerant and petty-minded. And they point to disputes over religion as being responsible for wars and atrocities the world over. So if God is truly all-powerful, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why does God include humanity in his plans? There's no sense in which God needs us to do things for him. He can do things better, with infinitely more care than we can. God can care for the environment. God can provide for the poor and the helpless. God can display his power and divine purposes to bring men and women into a restored relationship with one another and with him. But throughout history and throughout scripture, we see God drawing humanity into his plans. And in doing so, he ties his own reputation to people like us. If people are going to judge God by my behaviour, my reactions, my words, what are they going to think about God? What conclusions are they going to come to? So why does God do this? Why does he link his own activity, his own reputation, to unreliable creatures like us? Throughout history, people have cursed God and rejected him because of the behaviour of Christians. Why on earth does God put up with this? The simple answer is that it is because God loves us. His love is deep and self-sacrificing. God loves us so much that he ties his reputation to ours, even though he knows that he will get blamed for my failings, for your failings our failings. This is one of the deepest mysteries of the Bible. In John chapter 15, Jesus uses the picture of a grapevine. John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
Christianity isn't just about beliefs. It's not just about behavior. It's about relationships. Relationships with one another. Relationships with the wider world. But above all, it's about a relationship with God. Just as with the analogy of oxygen, we all need oxygen. We need it for life. But most of the time we take it for granted. It's in the air all around us. God is all around us. He upholds all of creation. We need him to live. But we need more. We need to be plugged into God. We need to remain in him. We need for his Holy Spirit to guide us and help us to really live. What does God, what does Jesus mean with this picture of the vine? Jesus likens people to branches. He is the vine, and as we remain in him, we produce fruit. What's the fruit that God's looking to see in us? Celebrity? Wealth? Influence? Status? Success? You might think so, if you follow some TV evangelists. But no, what does Scripture say? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we remain in Christ, we develop fruit. A Christ-like character developed by the power of the Spirit. Coming back to John chapter 15, verse 2, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Now we used to have a grapevine. We never really enjoyed the harvest of juicy black fruits that I'd envisaged, but I did my best to follow advisory pruning. Every year, on or round about New Year's Day, whether it was icy cold and snowy or whatever the weather, I would trim back the side shoots just to one or two buds to encourage fruiting rather than luxuriant, whippy, leafy growth. God is the ultimate gardener. He actively tends his vineyard. He knows how to get the best fruit. He's fully committed to bring us to maximum fruitfulness. And so we should expect him to be pruning. Verses 5 to 6, Jesus goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown into the fire and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. We need to live in intimate union with Jesus. A branch draws its vital sap from the vine to which it's united. In the same way we draw spiritual vitality that enables us to produce fruit from being close to Jesus. So Jesus says clearly, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
The Christian life is a supernatural life. It's one which flows from Jesus to us. If you feel that you are failing God, perhaps rather than be disheartened, you should be encouraged. It's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. But what about that alarming phrase, he is like a branch that is thrown away? The wood of the grapevine is fibrous, it's stringy, it's twisted. It can't be shaped into furniture or made into useful items. It's only got value whilst it lives in the vine. The picture of the branch thrown away and burnt emphasises the uselessness of a branch that's not producing fruit. Note that Jesus didn't say that if we produce, if we fail to produce fruit, we should be thrown away and burnt. But if we fail to abide in Jesus, the penalty is an empty and a useless life. Going on to verses 10 to 12, Jesus makes it clear how we remain in him. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus kept close to the Father by being responsive to his will, by obeying him. In the same way we keep close to Jesus, by obeying him as Lord. Love each other as I have loved you. Reading verses 12 to 17. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, that you love each other. So the second great relationship that Jesus draws our attention to is our relationship with one another. We're called to remain in Christ and to live with each other in love. How we relate to each other has such a tremendous impact on how we relate to Jesus and how we show God's love to the world. If our relationship with other Christians is marked by rivalry, suspicion, selfishness, it's going to be hard to maintain an intimate, responsive relationship with the Lord. But an experience of belonging, of trust, of caring in the Christian community encourages our trust and relationship to Jesus. You and I can't be solely responsible for how others in Christ's church behave, but we can be responsible for our own relationships with our fellow Christians. We can set the tone 
of active love that Christ commands and so help others draw nearer to our Lord. A branch of the vine carrying a large bunch of grapes needs to be, needs to remain attached to the vine. Now a vine without fruit is a waste of space, but a branch of grapes cut off from the vine will soon shrivel and ultimately it will rot. Detaching myself from the vine will eventually lead to isolation and becoming unproductive. The third relationship that Jesus explores is in verses 18 to 27, when he talks about if the world hates you. We have a relationship with the world. Because the world is hostile to God, we can expect to experience persecution in it. A world which has no understanding of God hated Jesus because his life and character challenged and rebukes it. There are times when Christians who live truly good and loving lives are hated today for exactly the same reason. Their very goodness exposes the wickedness of those around them and creates hostility. But don't stop doing and being good. The Holy Spirit is testifying through us, and our calling is to show others as well as tell others about Jesus. As we look back on the last 18 months, what have we learned? What have we learned about God? What have we learned about ourselves? Has our understanding of how God interacts with his people changed? Has it seemed that God has been far off during the pandemic? Doesn't God care? David wrestled with God's apparent silence. And we read in, in Psalm 13, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart. But, he goes on in verse 5, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. What have I learned about myself? Am I as close or closer to God than I was? Although the sun on the ripening grapes brings sweetness, the fruitfulness of the vine ultimately comes from being rooted in the soil and the sap flowing into the branches and to the bunches of grapes. We can't be fruitful by our own efforts to live well, but by remaining completely and firmly united with Christ, allowing him to pour his life-giving spirit into us. It's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me, as if I should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender. Ultimately, the Christian life isn't about what I do, about how I serve God, what spiritual gifts I have, but it's all about Christ in me. I can work at doing more in the church, more in the community, more in the world. 
but at the same time I can miss the heart of Christ's message here. It's only as we remain in Christ that we shall bear fruit. Not by our own efforts, by allowing Christ to flow into my life and bear fruit for the blessing of others. Paul writes to the church in Rome, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15 verse 13 As we recommit ourselves to trust in God, he will fill each of us with all joy and peace. Not for my blessing, but so that I might overflow. So coming back to the first and original question, why does God tie his own reputation to people like me? Throughout history, people have been pushed to curse God and to reject him because of the behaviour of his people, of Christians. Why on earth would he put up with this? It is because he loves us. His love is deep and self-sacrificing. There's no such thing as a fruit-bearing vine without branches. In that sense, the vine, Jesus, depends on the branches, his disciples, that's us. The fruit is due to always remaining in the vine, the source of the branch's life and so of our fruitfulness. God in his wisdom has made us in his own image, as we are told at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, so that we can show God to the world. May God bless and help us.